Log 3-14, cycle 2-0-2-1. If you're hearing this, the hosts are dead. I've been locked in the Oculus home since Judgment Day when Oculus went dark, and I'm out of patience. No content updates, no fixes to the Guardian. The only thing giving me hope are monthly transmissions from Cloudhead Games. It's time to bust out of this head-mounted destination and show them what I'm made of. Sweat and rage. Hello, and welcome to Headmounted Destinations. This is a podcast about virtual reality and VR game development. We provide our perspective as developers and provide a peek behind the curtain for those who are interested in how VR games are made. My name is Matt, and I'm a gameplay engineer. And I'm Carlos. I'm a game designer. Today we're talking about Pistol Whip, its most recent DLC update titled 2089, and we're going to be looking at what that means for the future of the VR market. Does it hold any lessons for us as developers or us as consumers? Carlos, how would you describe Pistol Whip in a few short words for the audience? All right. So Pistol Whip is a music rhythm shooting game inspired by films like John Wick and music visualizers. That is to say, you're going to be moving through fun, musical, pulsing areas with lots of suit and tie wearing enemies for you to dispatch using your own pistol, a la bullet or pistol whip. Now, one of the interesting things that it does is it throws in a couple of variations on the motions that you're doing. So like to reload, you move your gun down and there are obstacles that you have to dodge. And then occasionally you actually hit an enemy with the butt of your gun, you pistol whip them and that heals. And I think that introduces a nice rhythm to it, like not just the rhythm of the music, but the rhythm of the combat where it's like shoot, 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 reload, and then maybe duck down to a knee to dodge a bullet and then come back up and do four quick shots, very like tactical John Wick style. Yeah, and it creates in the game flow a really good push and pull, like especially when you're taking damage. So if I recall correctly, if you get hit once, you lose your armor. And if you were to get hit again, then you lose the level. So you get put in this really tense, hyper vigilant state once you do get hit once because you realize I need to kill this many enemies in order to get my shield back. Or if you pistol whip one enemy, you immediately get your shield and full health back. So you're in a way starts to develop a almost like rock, paper, scissors or like combat chess in your head as to like what your strategy should be next. Um, all the meanwhile, you're being uh, pulled at a consistent speed along a linear track. So it's not necessarily like Doom Eternal where you're like bouncing all over the place and trying to figure out what you should be doing. The challenges are more easily presentable. Yeah, a lot of people relate it to Beat Saber in that way because it is like a linear track. It's a music rhythm game. But I think you're right that the combat chess aspect of it and the like sort of larger spatiality of it, of like you see you have to keep track of enemies above you and to your sides and plan your shots and that kind of thing. That makes it in a way much more interesting than Beat Saber. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's nothing in Beat Saber that really has a like, you've taken damage, like fight your way back uh, outside of just like you hit a thing now just keep hitting blocks, you know, to come back. Something that we've seen a lot of music rhythm games do inside and outside of VR is provide game modifiers, which personally, I think is pretty important for any VR game to allow the player to change the way they play. But uh, in Pistol Whip, I think a lot of people have really latched onto the concept of 
of being able to turn on modifiers and change the base gameplay for the better. I mean, I know personally you weren't really into the game until you found the settings that you liked. Right, yeah. So when the game first came out, it didn't click to me as a music rhythm game as I was playing because I couldn't actually keep with the beat. Like just all everything that was happening, um, like I was I was getting shot at by enemies. I was being pulled along uh, a track. There was cool music happening, but lots of different visuals and stuff. And all of this was clouding my ability to like r- recognize and internalize the bpm of the song and in this game you get more points for shooting on beat uh so the maximum points you can get is a headshot on beat with the song and adding in gameplay modifiers only like increases or decreases that end goal number which is pretty much the main goal of the game it's a it's an arcadey like get the high score type of thing and talking about modifiers that have been added like as the game came out they added in scoreboards like leaderboards and or challenges uh when oculus made a big push for that a couple months ago so the yeah the gameplay modifier that was big for me was the metronome when i went into the settings on my second or third time trying to play the game in the in the first month of launch i saw that there was an option called metronome and uh, upon turning this on, it put the BPM vibration into my controller. So now as I'm holding the gun, I can feel the gun pulsing every time that it would be a perfect time to shoot, which made it, it I, I can't, it's hard to describe like how much that small feature sold the game for me. Yeah, because I I think in that moment the fact in that moment that was where the music was able to connect to my body through something as simple as using the vibration, just making it go like frump 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 as like another one bites the dust plays in the background or something like that. Like now I am part of this world as the world pulses. It's almost like being Neo in the Matrix. Like you see the world around you pulsing, and somehow you're. You're tied into your it. hand. Your gun has this is tied into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's I had a similar experience, although you've put it so poetically. <laughs> um, it's really it's an example of how using every means of communication with a player, every every channel of feedback possible is super important. I'm surprised that wasn't a default feature, honestly. <laughs> yeah, same. Oh my goodness. I pretty much as soon as I found out this feature was a thing, I told everyone I knew who was even remotely into pistol whip, I made sure they knew that this was an option and that it was in fact the way to play the game because I don't want it's it's a good candidate to like get people turned on the VR. So I I do not want them to run into what I ran into and most likely just quit on it. I'm like stubborn when it comes to trying to make VR games work for me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's sad that it didn't have that and people might have been turned off as a result. I mean, I remember when it came out, and I was at work and and a designer next to me played it and it was just like I don't get it. Why why do people like this? Which is kind of a shitty thing for a designer to say because that's it's their job to like try to understand why people like it. But I think part of it is there's not a whole lot of mechanical repercussions for not playing the music rhythm aspect of it. Like yeah, you'll get not very many points if you don't shoot on beat, mm-hmm. but there's like nothing happens in the game as a result of succeeding or failing to shoot on rhythm. 
outside of points. Like you don't get to reload if you land four shots in a row on the beat or something. Right. Um, and so the metronome, I think, adds like a visceral aspect to it where you're just more compelled at like a low level to play into the fantasy. Some of the other modifiers include dual wielding guns uh, or making the game harder, like you don't heal over time. The big one I know about is Deadeye, uh, at least on like the subreddit for Pistol Whip and all the hardcore players. They're like, it's Deadeye or it's nothing. And Deadeye <laughs> is, uh, it removes whatever aim assist there is in Pistol Whip. It just straight up removes it. But it gives you like a 30% increase to your total score so so anybody who is like actually trying to seriously reach the top of the leaderboards they start entering this meta game of like different modifiers to play with which you know that's like sort of a whole side game right that meta like gotta get the top of the leaderboard because it sort of starts divorcing there from the fantasy fulfillment of like i'm so john wick i can just like magically land every shot sort of feeling so that's interesting and then they also, I mean, this is a newish thing. They, they've been introducing these modifiers and other, other features and, and more content over time since release. Yeah, so I got into Pistol Whip pretty much like the first month. Uh, when I saw the trailer and they said John Wick, I was like, yep, I'm in. I must play this. And uh, when I actually got the metronome to, to, to click, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> I was pretty much hooked on the game and just like played through all the levels, got so hyped. And then uh, I guess in a sense, I felt the base game had a fair amount of content, but I wanted like more songs and stuff. And thankfully, Pistol Whip did a thing similar to what we gave kudos to Phantom Covert Ops for is drip feeding content to their consumers like over some course of time. So this was like they dropped a new song practically every month or every other month. A new song meaning like a, a new song which had a new level associated. And more often than not, it came with like new gun skins and like paint jobs for your guns. Each, each level also sort of told a, a story in a way through its visuals or its, its setting and like had like a little bit of like world building just in the the style of it you know like a good example is dark skies which is like mm -hmm. airship punk themed you're like a spy crashing into it or taking over an airship and like at the very end you're like at the captain's chambers and like the last dude you kill is like the the captain of the blimp or whatever right despite it not having any explicit narrative it's it's a step beyond other music rhythm games where it's just a song in a cool environment yeah, and um, something I want to call out from like the gameplay standpoint, certain levels lean into different aspects of Pistol Whip. Like, uh, I think it's Akuma is the one that is maybe partially inspired by Old Boy, but it really leans into Pistol Whip. So there's like three parts. Like it's like a, re a recurring chorus where you're intended to like dodge left, dodge right, and be pistol whipping like after each dodge to be a sort of like kinetic homage to the hallway scene in old boy where he's just like hitting guy after guy like fighting his way through um like they wanted to bring that in and there wasn't enough actual pistol whipping in the base set of songs for pistol whip like you could you could get through most of them with primarily you know shooting and they wanted to make one where you're really going to have to lean into the the melee part and that's why that song in particular stands out to me so much 
but 2089 introduces some new mechanics, but also leans into the existing mechanics that maybe didn't get as much love in regular Pistol Whip. Yeah, 2089 is sort of the pinnacle of all they've been doing in terms of experimenting with the base features that existed in the game on launch and sort of playing with how they can use those in levels and and, and sort of what new things they can do. And it really just takes that to a whole new level. Um, Although they definitely sold 2089 in a slightly different way. Sold it in a marketing sense, not in a paying for money sense. Uh, In a slightly different way as, as the other updates, because it's sort of a it's a campaign it's it's five levels bundled together with an overarching narrative and more design and some new mechanics in a very light sense carlos do you want to briefly describe the extent of the 2089 update okay so pistol whip 2089 as matt was saying is this big pinnacle update where uh mechanics that were kind of built out or thought on as like these levels that I had mentioned previously were coming out, like the devs were thinking of like different things and listening to the audience, like at various points, I'm sure people had said like, oh, is there anything other than a pistol that we can use? Are there going to be like new different enemies and stuff like that? And this was actually originally called Action Pack 1. The developers gave a pistol whip roadmap that talked about all the DLC songs that I had mentioned, along with like the PSVR launch, um, which happened like July of 2020, and then DLC coming out after that. So Action Pack 1, which is Pistol Whip 2089, introduces a narrative aspect to the game. So like this is a five level campaign that is like self-contained. It uses the Pistol Whip mechanics. But now you're like in a robot sci-fi dystopia, like art wise, everything is sci-fi robots and stuff. And you have these narrative like voiceovers along with comic book style vignettes for cutscenes between levels. And this is alongside some set piece bits that the developers brought in for like earlier levels i think it was like full throttle is their mad max inspired level which was in their patch notes the first time they were able to put in scripted sequences like cars driving and stuff outside the level not just enemies spawning in so that goes to show us the audience like a little transparency between the developers and the players they pretty much flat out told us like hey with pistol whip and with the first couple of levels like all we could really do is like spawn enemies tell them to go here and and then start shooting now we have the ability to like bring in bigger stuff which is why we get like bigger and more grandiose things and with 2089 some gameplay things that i really liked were they added in turrets and turrets introduced a new layer to having to dodge bullets it was no longer like oh let me just dodge this singular orb you're now dodging an entire line so it feels more like a bullet hell game where you're you're ducking under a wall (laughs) right as opposed to just like sidestepping a bullet yeah that was one of my impressions was they really played into the bullet hell aspect of the game that existed to a certain extent before but now with the turrets, which, yeah, sort of shoot a line of bullets. So it's almost like a, a curling string through space as you move your yeah. head. But also the the level where they take away your gun and you just have to dodge bullets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're just sort of like ducking like a madman the entire level and like bobbing and <laughs> weaving. Um, and then the 
boss fight at sequence at the end, which, you know, you're talking about scripted sequences and that that takes it to a whole new level where there's this gunship flying around and he's dropping down obstacles that force you into spaces. And then that that was one of the moments that I really liked was it forces you to crouch all of a sudden and then he sh- shoots a bunch of bullets. And so now you're having to bob and weave, but you're also like crouched it down. Yeah, like they go they go really hard into the mechanical side of things like the game mechanic side of things with this dlc and like that felt great like you like you mentioned the the string of bullets in like 3d space it made me remember my first time playing tilt brush and being wowed by like spelling my name or drawing whatever in 3d space and then walking around it and realizing like i can see every aspect of it so when i'm when i'm dodging these turrets right they'll shoot towards your head because that's basically where you take damage so you can get these like as you're like weaving from side to side you might create this cool spiral string of like bullets that as you're avoiding them you see like the moment to moment passing you in like the bullets that were going at you from two seconds ago yeah um and that stuff is like so cool and just a quick call out for the less mechanical stuff but the much appreciated stuff the weapon skins as well as the weapon visual effects i don't know if this was with 2089 specifically but the my best example is that they added in water guns to pistol whip and they actually made sure that like when you shoot it's like a splash of water that like hits the enemy as opposed to just it playing the regular like pistol shot reaction Mm -hmm. and they they extend that to like their other weapons and stuff and just really leaning into the customization aspect like i think those are the two things they the developers are really leaning into for their audience building out the game with like the narrative and the mechanics and things that the audience are asking for, but also giving them plenty of ways to express themselves via the gun skins, gun colors, what type of gun model you're using, and even the sound the gun makes. Like there's always like three or f- three or five different sound effects you can choose for like every gun. Yeah, that's interesting. Like it does feel like the game in a large part has been designed in a sort of piecemeal way uh, so that you you can engage with it however you want. You know, I choose a skin that I like, choose modifiers that I like, play levels that I like. And so 2089 is sort of a departure from that in a way because like it, yeah. you can't put the, those modifiers on and it has a very fixed progression of like, this is the way you're going to play. Now this is the way you're going to play to the point of like they introduce the four bullet burst gun. Yeah, the little... the uh what is it like a like a uzi sorta or i guess it's a burst pistol yeah it, it kind of reminded me of the um i don't know if you played titanfall 2 but like the super pistol at the end of that yeah you're just like yeah wrecking it's like auto auto targeting everyone's heads and you're just like burr, 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 which like, like has a long yeah. legacy i guess in in game design you know you think about the gravity gun power up at the end of half-life 2 where suddenly mm-hmm. you're just uh destroying enemies that have been giving you trouble the whole way through but then now they introduce new enemies that you have to contend with so i want to nail into something that you've brought up kind of just now and that you brought up in the past this is a campaign this five level campaign like five levels five songs it's not just five songs like you would have in base pistol whip or even with the dlc uh, songs they are each song is self-contained none of them like really lead into the other none of them mechanically like play with 
any one particular thing or taking away one particular thing. Like I know I mentioned Akuma has a lot of pistol whipping in it, but it's not like an only pistol whip level. And with all of those levels, you can like do uh, modifiers. But with 2089, it was very intentionally like we have a plan of things we want to show the player and things we want to test the player on. And we are not going to back down from that. So excuse us players, but this is a tale that we want you to take in the style that we want. Whereas the rest of the game is like, tailor it to however you, the player feel is perfect. 2089 is, is you're going to like start here with the pistol. Then you're going to go to stage two and it's going to be about like maybe like machine gun pistol. Then you're going to get to stage three and we're going to take that stuff away from you entirely because we've never done that before. And we think it's really cool and fun. And then we're going to give you that gun back in level four, but now you're going to have like a boss and like new things and capping it off with level five with like the big gunship boss and ultimately the narrative like wrapping up. That is something that takes a lot of work the fact that these levels are tied into each other and they create this like narrative progression and gameplay slash challenge progression all of that takes so much more work to do than a simple single level drop a month or every other month like certainly that initial drip feed of content does take a fair amount of work but the reason why 2089 came out at like the end of year one of Pistol Whip is because of how much love and effort was put into having all this tie together, having this be a good progression. That might be like the biggest key thing is like there's a progression to all of this, a macro progression. Whereas in base Pistol Whip, the only progression is really in the individual songs. Yeah, it really speaks to the love that the developers have for the game. And they're not just cashing out or doing minimum effort updates. Uh, like they really want the game to be good for lack of a better word, right? They, they're they invested in it uh, at an emotional level. Right, and they didn't even have a roadmap to begin with. That's a major thing I feel we should make note of, especially nowadays where like every big budget game that like you're seemingly going to spend $60 to get into needs to have a roadmap and like it's become a bad meme at this point. But like as far as I know and recall, Pistol Whip didn't have any plans specifically for DLC after launch. The game came out and they were just hoping that people would play it and have fun and it kicked off like it just got crazy popular crazy fast and they realized this and responded by saying oh, okay we are going to make a new level let's see if that gets engagement okay a new level that keeps getting engagement and that just kept building to the point where they were actually able to release their game on playstation vr which like only made it skyrocket more right so by the time we got to the psvr launch that's when we started to see a roadmap yeah, it's a, it's a great example of a developer taking, you know, sort of rolling with the punches and not allowing themselves to be boxed into to certain concepts. I mean, the story of this developer is pretty interesting. Cloudhead Games, the developer, originally made two games, The Gallery Episode 1 and The Gallery Episode 2, which were works of love. They they loved the whole like 80s dark fantasy movie genre and they wanted to make adventure games in VR that, that was based around that. And these games came out, uh, the gallery episode one came out pretty early in like the whole VR market life cycle. 
and I think sold decently because of that. But then the sequel, uh, I don't think sold as well as they're expecting. And ultimately, they they realized, oh, we need to we, we need to sell out, basically. Like, we, we can't make these games just that we want to, like, as we want to make them. Let's look at the market from a commercial angle and just, like, make a game that is likely to succeed. And they made Pistol Whip. But it's not just a... They're developers with heart. It's not just a cash out. Um, you know? Yeah, like, like I think we should say, like, rather than uh, selling out, uh, it was more likely than not. And, you know, I don't have any personal knowledge of this, but it was more likely than not that if two projects came out and they were just barely, you know, making profits, then most likely the studio needed a big win in order to keep living, especially with it being a much smaller studio, VR being mostly indie studios, right? Right. It's not selling out to become rich. It's selling out to survive. But it's interesting because, (laughs) I mean, it's very easy to design cynically of like, oh, let's just make the most like mass market commercial popular thing that, that has no soul. But this has soul almost through the way that they've they've nurtured it over time. Yeah. Um, and it's really happened alongside of and been a prototypical example of the way that the VR market has shifted over the past couple of years. This developer started out just releasing a, a full game and just hoping it sells well. And like now they've they've figured out and they've morphed their whole studio into this sort of they released a base game and then they've been releasing free updates in order to expand out that long tail of sales over you know one year two year probably three years of of games and they're playing into the fact that in the vr market it seems like games that manage to get into the top tier survive for a long time right think like beat saber is sort of another prototypical example of like everyone knows beat saber and as new users come in they're going to keep buying that game and just the fact that people are playing the game makes their friends more likely to buy the game even though it it doesn't have a social component and so they're like they're very much adapting to the market conditions of like instead of putting out a sequel to Pistol Whip or paid updates or adding in microtransactions for cosmetics or something they're just trying to get it up into that top tier of like if you get VR then you have to get Beat Saber and Pistol Whip and you know whatever else vacation simulator Talking about how Alchemy Labs has navigated that uh, terrain is maybe a story for another day. Um, but it's it's really the whole 2089, you know, updates go- coming up to 2089 and, and how 2089 has played in the market really gives insight into how developers need to be looking ahead if they're going to survive in the coming years in VR as it becomes a more casual platform, less uh, enthusiast-focused, what with the Quest and the Quest 2 being very popular. What we see is something that's also been happening in the non-VR market, but it's interesting because the VR market is much smaller and this is still happening, is a shift towards games as a service rather than games as a standalone product. People might be familiar with games as a service, more so from things like Fortnite or other big AAA games not in the VR market, where typically these games are free or or low-priced and have microtransactions for cosmetics or gameplay items and sort of release regular updates and, and more content and have events to keep drawing players back, like 
Destiny or... Apex Legends. Exactly. You don't play it and then you're done. You play it and you keep playing it. And it's it's like almost the main game that you play. And this is great because if you're a big developer, then you can capture all these players and keep milking money out of them. But what we see is in the VR market, we see this with Population 1 and Beat Saber and Pistol Whip, is you have an initial buy-in, but almost what you're selling is we're going to keep releasing content for this game. So buy our game instead of these other games because you're going to be able to keep squeezing entertainment out of this product. Right. And uh, to extend that even further, Walkabout VR Mini Golf, which has made its way into the top Oculus Quest sellers really quickly, those developers, they have stated, I think the game came out with like five courses but they said that they wanted to add in like at, at least like three or four more because to them, the game didn't feel complete. And it's not like the game's price is going to be changing as they're releasing these free levels. Two major keys, right? We're going to go a little DJ Khaled here. Two major keys to this drip feed of content post-launch. One, the price of your title doesn't need to change. If you're adding in content like Pistol Whip, had let's just guess like 12 songs to start with and by now it has 24 pistol whip doesn't need a price drop you could still justify the initial asking price for it whereas a lot of people get rightly upset when nintendo games that are like five plus years old are still being sold at full price market value for seemingly no reason given that the there's no added content the game is the same as it came out five years ago so big yeah big key number one is like your price doesn't have to drop if you are nurturing your game and then key number two in this case would be you are building a rapport with your audience or with your consumers that allows you to then maybe take risks later on like if you have so many pistol whip fans and they're like we trust cloudhead games they gave us two awesome years of pistol whip now they either want to do pistol whip 2 or they want to do an entirely different game you know count me in or at least count me interested because of how well they treated me after spending like 30 dollars on pistol whip yeah it's a play for word of mouth right? You want people to either be playing Pistol Whip and coming back to it for the new updates and being like, hey guys, this game is still alive. You should buy in. It's really fun. And just showing that you're not a developer that, that is going to disrespect the player. And, and so it's like, oh, I know that if I buy a game from this studio, it's going to be quality and it's it's going to stay alive. Both of those are valuable in a way that can't be measured, right? It's that like trust and respect with the community. Yeah. Although structuring, needing to structure games to work like that does impose a lot of constraints on what kinds of games you can design and like how they're built. You're selling two things to the user. You're selling the core loop, which in the case of Battle Royale is a drop in, I loot and fight against these teams and, and try to win. And you're selling the promise of variations in that core loop, which in Battle Royale is going to be events or other things that modify the base game rules for an interesting change in play that, that makes it fresh. And in the case of Pistol Whip, it's going to be new levels 
that play with the base mechanics or introduce new mechanics in order to create a slightly different experience. And so you have to have a good core loop that is compelling, but then you also need to make your game in such a way that it's a little bit modular and can play with the various aspects easily. Exactly. That's why with the drip feed of the pistol whip levels, we were able to see levels like Akuma, which had a lot more pistol whip focused enemies, like the ones I had that literally melee. Whereas in uh, the Heartbreaker trilogy, the one that they said was inspired by Sayonara Wild Hearts and just nice, cool, funky trans music type stuff like they got to play with the environment, right? So like you're talking about modularity, Matt, all of these things you can tweak in kind of a vacuum and then introduce them into the main mix. So whether that be a turret or a gunship or even, I mean, the gunship was actually basically three turrets just put onto a really bigger moving object, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, we already see that th like stuff just gets built on from minor iterations and experimentations in the design. So one consequence of that, I guess, is that the core loop can't be very ludic. It can't be some complicated system of incentives and game mechanics that cause the player to have to make different interesting decisions at an abstract level. The core loop almost has to be physiological and sort of like a moment to moment, like, huh, dodge this bullet, shoot these guys, keep track of things. Because that's so atomic and like it's easy to to play with different aspects of that. Whereas if you have some complicated game loop at the core, then that's much more fragile potentially and harder to design little add-ons to. Right. Like if you were to take, say, Asgard's Wrath, right. for example, right? If you want to make DLC for Asgard's Wrath, it's you more or less are like super one, you it's super inflated because of like everything else Asgard's Wrath has pulled off. So if you want to make any DLC, it's like, oh, it's gotta be at least a dungeon, it's gotta it's gotta have at least like two of these extra NPCs, it's gotta follow this structure, and we and you know, throw a, a, a weird doohickey or two in there. Like it's just a lot more to jump. Whereas if you just have this pistol whip level that's like very straightforward and gray boxed and you're just like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if I had gaps or, you know, if uh, something as simple as like maybe I make the path take a right turn at some point instead of just going straight forward mm -hmm. all the time. Right. Like that could be something or or. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like slipping into like, what do I hope I see in pistol whip down the road territory? So I don't, I'm not going to ramble too much, but uh, in terms of like, what's a modular thing they could experiment with currently is like obstructions or like doorways in your path that you got to like shoot or like pistol whip to open. Otherwise you take damage. Like something as simple as, as that can be implemented, tested on in a vacuum. And then they could say, Oh, we'll just release one level with it and see how the audience reacts and then decide whether uh, based on audience feedback, they decide whether they want to like double down on it or maybe try to take a different experimental route with it. Hey, so listener, if you don't own Pistol Whip right now and you play VR, you should go pick up that game because Cloudhead Games, the developer, they're full of heart 
and it's a really good game on a lot of aspects and we should support a developer that takes care of their audience and and takes care of their game and shows a lot of creative investment into their product and we should reward that yeah you you are getting not only the pistol whip based game at this point listener you are getting the High Priestess, you're getting Akuma, you're getting Full Throttle, Dark Skies, Religion, Heartbreaker Trilogy, a buttload of new songs, even 2089. Like, I just listed basically, what is it, like, five, eight, I listed out 11 songs outside of just the base game, and you can have all those dope 11 songs we mentioned, which includes 2089, and all the original, like, heart pounding john wick nightclub stuff that happens in the main game all for the same damn price it was when it came out which is to say i think like 30 bucks which is a pretty fair cost for what's offered Mm -hmm. hey so if you want to talk more about pistol whip or you disagree with our take on games as a service within the vr market or you have any other thoughts or suggestions for future topics you should head over to our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash headmountedpodcast. This is how we interact with people. Leave a comment there on the thread for this episode. That's right, listener. We want to hear from you. We want to read your thoughts, and we want to integrate you into the show. So come on, drop us a line. We'll shout you out. All right. And with that, I think it's time to finish the episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. If you'd like this episode and want to hear more, please visit headmountedpodcast.com and sign up for our email list to get notified about new episodes. You can listen to the show on YouTube or Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, any of those. If you'd like to discuss this episode or suggest future topics, visit our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash headmountedpodcast. If you want to do a little extra for the show, you can follow our Twitter account at Mounted Head or our Facebook page at Head Mounted Podcast. And most importantly, you can tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you at the next Head Mounted Destination.